Please take your Bible and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4. We continue our study of this great epistle from the pen of Peter in the heart of the Holy Spirit. And we trust the Holy Spirit to be our teacher today as we always do. When we come to a moment like this. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Read as follows in the New American Standard Bible. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so as by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Some of my early and most heartwarming moments occurred around the Thanksgiving season. As I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, every Wednesday before Thanksgiving, my father, my mother, my younger sister, my cousin David, his mother Sarah, and I would pile into our car and begin the hundred or so mile journey from Memphis to the halfway point between Memphis and Nashville, Lexington, Tennessee. It was there that my mother and father had been born and grew up. It was there that both sets of grandparents lived. And it was with a certain degree of expectation and excitement that we got in the car knowing that we were going to have a great family reunion that evening and in succeeding days before the weekend concluded. In those days, at least the earliest of those days in my memory, there was no interstate highway. There were only two-lane roads. If I understand, the busiest day of travel in the United States is on the day before Thanksgiving. And it was true then too. We'd get in the car, and before long, the sun went down because of the time of year. And all you could see coming your way were headlights. And every once in a while, sort of a jump and a scream from my mother. Not really a scream, but she wished she could because Daddy tried to pass a car on the road. It's no fun passing at night when you're only making about 35 and you've got to get some energy to get around that car and make it safely to the other side. On the return trip, we would return typically right after lunch on Sunday, so it was daytime coming back. As we would make our way toward Memphis, what I would notice, and I became early in life when I learned to read, I liked to read the signs on the road. And there were lots of them. We were going slowly enough that you could actually read the signs, small ones in this case. There were lots of fence posts on the road, just a short distance between the shoulder on the road to a pasture or a field. 
And every once in a while you'd see signs on those fence posts. And some of them were making a sentence. And you'd see the first sign, and then the second sign was the second word, and so forth and so on. And there's one such sign that still lingers in my memory. And these were the words. The first fence post I saw a word on, prepare to meet your God. That had a very ominous ring to a child. Kind of scared me to read it. I later learned that it's from the book of Amos. It's what God would have us to know. We're to live in a state of preparedness to meet our God. This passage of Scripture teaches us how we can be prepared to meet our God. How can we live in a way that will make us ready when we do stand before God? Whether that comes with death. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and after that to stand before God in judgment. We will all have to stand before God. Most of us, perhaps, in death. But it's conceivable, isn't it? That Jesus Christ could come. Even so come, Lord Jesus, was the heart cry of the New Testament church. When John the Revelator concluded the book of Revelation, he concludes it with that saying, Even so come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha was the heart cry of the church, which in Aramaic means come, come Lord. It could happen to us. It could happen today, perhaps. We need to be ready. The way in which Peter introduces this section could easily be just sort of skimmed over and not given proper attention. We're going to give it a lot of attention. The end of all things is at hand. The critics of Christianity, the critics of the New Testament, the critics of Peter and other New Testament writers have ganged up on them and on the Bible and have said, this just goes to show how mistaken the biblical writers were about the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Because 2,000 years almost have passed since Peter wrote these words. And we could look at other New Testament writers who say something similar to this. Is this really true? Is Peter just mistaken because he was a child of his age? He lived in a pre-modern age. And he was duped, he was deceived, he was deluded in the way he thought about the return of Christ. The end of all things is at hand. Well, I take exception with such a position. And I'll try with the help of the Lord to explain why. So I'm going to ask you, before I go any further, to jot some references down. If you're taking notes, and even if you're not, this will help you to follow this message more carefully. I want you to find the book of Luke, or write it down, Luke 21. We're going to take a look at part of Luke 21. Luke 21. We're going to look at Acts chapter 1. So we have Luke, the Gospel, the third book in the New Testament. Acts, the fifth book in the New Testament. Then we're also going to look at Colossians, which is further away still from the first part of your New Testament. And then we're going to look in the book of Hebrews. So, think about this with me. You want to have Luke 21, find it. And then next, you want to be in Acts chapter 1. 
and then Colossians chapter 3, and then finally Hebrews chapter 1. Now, I may not look at those in sequence as they occur in your New Testament, but we're going to look at all those if I remember. It's always a possibility that I'll forget. But if I remember, we'll look at those. But before we do that, with regard to this statement that Peter begins this section with, the end of all things is at hand, please turn to chapter 1 of 1 Peter. In an effort to understand what Peter would have had in mind when he makes this statement, the end of all things is near. We're going to look at what Peter says here and remember the things which Jesus said, not just to the apostles in general, but to Peter in specific. You know, Jesus had the ear of Peter. Peter was taught over and over and over again things that we are taught as a result. They came from Jesus to Peter and the other apostles. And thus we have what is called the apostles' teaching, represented in what we call the New Testament. Look at verse 20 of chapter 1. Speaking of Jesus, he says, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared, now notice this phrase, in these last times for the sake of you. In these last times. Are you familiar with the word or the concept, the day of the Lord? Do you know when the day of the Lord actually began? The day of the Lord began when Jesus Christ came into the world. There was a new era which took place. Because Jesus, even though He was an infant at that time, He was God. And He was just as much the light and the life of the world then as He was later in His adulthood and in His ministry. So, the light came into the world The people were walking in great darkness, Isaiah predicted, and they will see a great light. This is the Messiah. This is Jesus. He came. And so, Jesus started the day of the Lord. When He came, and guess where we still are in this moment? We are still in that era known as the day of the Lord. It's the end of times. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul talks about in the last days there will be terrible times. And he says people will be lovers of money, lovers of themselves. They will be lovers of pleasure. All of those things rather than lovers of God. That was true in Paul's day almost 2,000 years ago. As surely it was true in Peter's day. They were contemporaries, obviously. And it's still true today. Isn't it true? We are in... The last times. Peter understood that. There's good reason for him to have understood that. If you go to the book of Acts now. Chapter 1. Jesus has been raised from the dead for several days. He's getting ready to ascend to heaven. To take His rightful position at the right hand of God the Father. And so, his apostles, of whom Peter was probably the chief, he was the recognized leader, not only by his peers, but even Jesus. Every time you run across a listing of the apostles in the New Testament, guess whose name always heads the list? Peter. 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 That in itself would give us 
pause to see he was the leader. Look at verse 6 of Acts 1. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you were restoring the kingdom of Israel? Peter and his cohorts were eager to know if, in fact, Jesus was establishing his earthly kingdom and restoring Israel to its place of prominence in history. And notice Jesus' response. It is not for you, Peter, James, John, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and the rest of you. It's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now, what did Peter hear the Lord say? You can't know the time. Does that surprise you? What did Jesus himself say about that? He said, the Son of Man does not even know the time. He doesn't even know. Jesus didn't know. So, the apostles would not know either. But notice what he does say to them in verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the remotest part of the world, the whole earth. Here's your responsibility, is what Jesus said to the Apostles, your responsibility is not to be on the welcoming committee. Your responsibility is to be on the preparation committee. You are going to receive the Holy Spirit who will fill you with Himself and you because it's His nature. The Spirit of God's nature is to bear witness to Jesus. You will do the same. So Peter knew he didn't know the time. So when he's saying the end of all times is at hand. He's talking about the day of the Lord, this lengthy period between the advent of God in the person of Jesus Christ and the end of time as we know it. Now go to chapter 2. We're going to break into part of Peter's Pentecostal sermon, looking at two verses. Verse 16 says in chapter 2 of Acts, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my Spirit upon all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Peter preached this tremendous sermon, arguably the greatest sermon ever preached in the New Testament era. Boom. 3,000 people are saved. The Spirit of God has already fallen upon the 120 in the upper room. And the people come to hear the gospel. They hear the preaching of the gospel message in their own language. And then, what do we see? Well, we see these people coming to Christ. Now, is this the only time this happened? This says, in the last days, the Spirit of God is poured out. He was poured out mightily on Pentecost. Has he been poured out in any other era besides Pentecost? Why, sure. It's estimated, this is awesome to think about, on average, over a million people a day come to faith in Jesus Christ in the world. 3,000? A million. We know the population of the world is much, much more than it was at that time. But still, that's a lot of folks, isn't it, coming to Jesus? It's still happening, isn't it? This is the last days. It's happening. This is the era of the Lord, the day of the Lord. Go to Hebrews for a moment. 
chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We do not know who the writer of Hebrews is on the human level, but that's really not that important. We know the Spirit of God has given this great book to us. Verses 1 and 2. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. The Lord has spoken to us through His Son, Jesus, in these last days. Another example of the idea of the last days not being the second coming of Christ, but the days leading up to the second coming of Christ. And before I forget it, in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8, the Bible says, To the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are as a day. Wow. So, what would that say? Jesus has been raised from the dead two days from God's point of view. That's God's viewpoint. So we measure time differently than God measures time. He's in eternity. We're in history. So that's important to understand as we consider this whole matter. Well, look at Luke 21, verse 36. Jesus is speaking to Peter and the other apostles. (coughs) He says, but keep on the alert at all times. Praying in order that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. You'll have strength to escape. Some people say this has to do with the rapture of the church. I disagree. Here's why. Is it going to be my strength that's going to help me get up to be with the Lord when He comes again? I don't, I don't have any strength to do that. He's the one who will supply the strength. And... We are to pray in order that we may have that kind of strength to be in that kind of relationship with the Lord. Look at verse 34. Be on guard that your hearts may not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life, and that day come on you suddenly like a trap. Now, here's the reason the Lord teaches through Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4 what we're considering today. Look at it again. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Let me stop here. What our English reading eyes cannot see, scholars of the New Testament who know the language of the New Testament have helped us to understand. The verb translated is at hand is a perfect tense verb. That simply means something happened in history and it will continue throughout history. The last things... Are at hand. I mean, we're in this era, is what he said. And it will be to the end of time. The day of the Lord is to the end of time. And there are four things that he teaches that are necessary here. And it's important to understand this. There's a trap which has been set for us who know Jesus Christ. Not a trap that will keep us out of heaven, but a trap that will keep us from really accomplishing the mission which we have been given by none other than Jesus Christ Himself, by the power of the Spirit, to live this life out in such a way, especially in the context of suffering for His name's sake, especially in that context, that will enable the Spirit of God to reach many more people through His church. Here's the first thing. We must be prayerful. 
Notice what Jesus says over in Luke 21, verse 36. Praying for the strength not to fall into a trap. You know what that trap is? It's the trap of buying the lie of the devil in the world about the coming of Christ. Well, Christ is not coming. And so what we find ourselves doing, we're lulled into sleep spiritually, as it were, and we become more and more worldly instead of becoming more like Christ as the church. We're to be prayerful. Look again at verse 7. Therefore, be of sound judgment. The word translated sound judgment, only one word in the New Testament, is a compound word. The first part of it is keep safe. That's the word. Keep safe. And the second word is mind. Keep your mind safe. Keep it from being influenced by those voices which would try to persuade you that you cannot believe what God says. And therefore, you lose your edge as far as your spiritual life is concerned. You lose your sense of purpose. The next word is sober in spirit. The opposite of sober is drunk. The opposite of the word translated sound judgment is used to describe people who were demonized. The demoniacs, their minds were not sober. Their minds were not sane. Preserve your sanity and ways that you do this in light of all the pressure which comes. The pressure comes. Are we living in a day of incredible pressure? Are you stressed at all today? Anybody here come with some worry on your heart? Probably 90% of us did. Came here with some sort of pressure. And that is endemic to this day of the Lord. This is the era in which we live. There is a battle that is raging furiously by the forces of evil against the kingdom of God. But we know who wins, do we not? And the Lord doesn't want us to have the mentality, we know who wins in the end. Hey, how about winning right now? I'm tired of getting beat up. Are you? Let's win now. And the way to do begin that, that is to be prayerful. When Jesus tells the parable, it's sort of confusing a little bit as far as the conclusion he brings to the parable. The parable of the unjust judge. Remember that? A widow comes and bugs the daylights out of this guy who is not righteous at all. He doesn't care about people. And finally he gives in, gives her request. And at the end of that, in Luke 18.8, this is what Jesus says. He says this. When the Son of Man comes, and who is he speaking about when he says that? He's speaking about himself. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find people praying, interceding, not giving up? Because the way in which he introduces the parable, he says, I'm teaching this so you will not faint and lose heart. We must be men and women under the pressure. Here's what happens. When we find this pressure mounting in our lives, mounting, 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 it's crushing. Many times we try to escape in other ways than go to the Lord with it and leave it with the Lord. And recognize what Paul teaches in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is in fact true. It's not a simple placebo that 
religionists have given us to help us deal with difficulty. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Pray. Be prayerful. In these last days, we must be prayerful. Here's the second thing. We must be charitable as well. Look at verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Let me stop just a moment. The word keep fervent is used in Luke twenty-two forty-four to describe the way in which Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane prior to his arrest, prior to his crucifixion. And the scripture says he prayed fervently and he sweat great drops of blood. Would you say that's pretty fervent, pretty passionate? And the question is, how do we love this way? Well, Understand, it's not a feeling. It's an act of the will. You cannot command a feeling. If you tell me love somebody, I don't feel anything. But I know what the Word of God says. Love one another fervently. So the Lord doesn't give me a command that He does not give me the power to execute. He's in me. And His Spirit indwells me. And the top of the list of the fruit of the Spirit is love. In Romans 5, the Bible says, God has shed abroad His love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Listen to what one man says about this kind of love. He said, it is outgoing affection or tenderness for another without necessarily expecting anything in return. Well, that eliminates most of us right there, doesn't it? We love in order to get, right? We do nice things for those we want something from. But this is not the kind of love that we're called to. It's a supernatural love. It's only a love that comes when we choose to obey the Lord by trusting Him. It seeks a person's highest good on the basis of a decision of the will and an inclination of the heart. We are to be fervent in this kind of love. In the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, Paul says, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. Some of the translations I like this translate it rude. Love is not rude. Think about you in this relationship. And I'm thinking about myself. Am I kind of measuring up to this standard? And the Bible says, love does not insist on its own way. Uh Uh-oh. Love is not easily anger. Another uh uh-oh. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Triple uh uh-oh. Right? Wow. This is the love of the Lord. Aren't you glad He loves you this way? Aren't you glad He lives in you? Aren't you glad that He has called you to this kind of love? Especially in these last days. When pressures mount in your life, think about it. When you've got a lot of pressure on you from various quarters, isn't it true that you're a little short-tempered, maybe more than normal in your home and in your workplace and with your church brothers and sisters? Isn't it true? All the more reason we are to be men and women who come to this passage of Scripture and say, thank you, Lord, for explaining how I am to be prepared 
and help others to be prepared. First of all, I've got to be prayerful. Secondly, I've got to be charitable. I've got to love with this incredible love. If we took time, we could go to Colossians 3. We're out of time almost. Colossians 3.12 talks about how we are to, in humility, bear one another. Bear with one another. You know what that means? Simply put, put up with one another. There's a whole lot of putting up with one another that's necessary among believers. Why? Well, we're still men and women who contend with our own selfishness. We need to understand this. Look at the text again. Because love covers a multitude of sins. What's that all about? Well, what this is about is what Christ did for us. He covered us. Did you know that? The Bible says, Jesus actually says in John 15, He says, Greater love has no one than this, that He lay down His life for His friends. Do you know what the word for means? It literally means on top of. He blanketed us with His love. And guess how many sins He forgave? All of them. When He's on the cross, He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He forgave them all. This is the kind of love we're to show to each other. Sometimes we just, we're just disagreeable with each other, right? Now think about Peter and Paul. Did they have disagreements? Yeah. Think about Barnabas and Paul, did they have disagreements over a young man named John Mark? Remember the story? John Mark had bailed out on them, and he went back to Mama. And what happened? When Barnabas and Paul were getting ready for their second missionary journey, Barnabas said, hey, let's take John Mark with us. And what did Paul say? Mm-mm, not going to risk it. Too much of a liability. But at the end of his life... In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul tells Timothy, bring John Mark with you. Pick him up on the way because he has rendered great service to me. There had been a reconciliation. Certainly there was between Barnabas and Paul later, but there was just a disagreement, right? Do we have disagreements in the body of Christ? You know what most people do when they have a disagreement? They pack up their little ditty bag and go somewhere else. It's so easy to go somewhere else. We cheapen the fellowship of the Lord. There's something wrong with our fellowship that allows people, when they get upset, just to say, well, I'm leaving in a huff and I'm gone. That shows the poor quality of our fellowship. We're not really loving each other in this way. Let's look at the third thing. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Now, get the picture. Hebrews chapter 10, we read from... 32 through 34. And the picture there was a picture of people having their own property plundered or confiscated because of their association with Christ. And what did those people do? They rejoiced amazingly to suffer for the name of the Lord. Now, get the picture. Be hospitable without complaining. Why would one complain? Now, put yourself in those people's shoes. Here's why they would complain. They've had maybe a series of people who have come for shelter. And they're low on funds themselves. The cupboard's almost dry and empty. And so these people come and you say, oh no, here they come. 
I don't have any. I'm worried about even feeding my own family, much less somebody else. And so that would be part of the thinking. But we're to be hospitable. You know, if we obey the Lord, the Lord will multiply what you have. He will do it. Quit worrying about it. To whom does it belong anyway? Who do you belong to? To Jesus, right? And let's look again at the fourth thing. So here, what's the first thing? If we're going to be prepared, we're going to be prayerful. What's the second thing? We're going to be charitable. What's the third thing? We're going to be hospitable. Here's the last thing. We're going to be self-forgetful. This is the hardest of the bunch, I think. To forget about ourselves. Becky has composed a song, It's Not About Me, as much as I may want it to be. Drew, oftentimes on Saturday nights, some of you come, probably once a month at least, he'll talk about, we want to make your name famous, Lord. And we do. It's not about us, is it? But it's got to get beyond lip service. It's got to be practiced. We have to forget about ourselves. And that does not mean we totally neglect ourselves, because the Bible says in the book of Philippians, that each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So it's not wrong to look out for your own interests. But look, if that's where it stops, you are selfish. And you need to recognize that. And you need to repent of that. You need to share what the Lord's given to you with others. And understand, in that same section, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Wow. Better than yourself. I can think of you as a peer, but when it comes to thinking of you as better, that takes supernatural help. Right? And it's available to us. Let's look at verses 10 and 11, which I believe yield this piece of information. That in order to be prepared, we must be self-forgetful. As each one has received a special gift, if you have a spiritual gift, which you do if you know Christ... It was given to you when you were born again by the Spirit of God. It was used, is to be used to serve one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The word steward in the New Testament is the word from which we get our word economy or economics. It's ekamanos is what it is. We are stewards. This, these things, whether it's a house, a car, a bank account a business, whatever, guess who they really belong to? The Lord. And we're to look at it in that way. And we serve each other by being hospitable and charitable and being prayerful, praying for each other. Look at 11. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so as by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified. It's not about me. It's about Him, if it matters. Right? It's not about how I am perceived by you. It's about how He perceives my heart when I'm serving Him. Because when I'm serving you, guess who I'm really serving? Look at this last part of 11. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Oh, through Jesus Christ. How does that work? Well, the church is the body of Christ. And when we are exercising our spiritual gifts and that's a whole other story. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. Look it up and study those more detailed than we're able to do it today. But look, when I'm ministering to you and you're ministering to me and we're ministering to each other, we're serving each other, we're forgetting about ourselves, 
and we're thinking about the body, actually, we're thinking about Christ, aren't we? So find out what your gift or gifts may be and put them to practice to build up the body of Christ. Because in doing that, guess who's glorified? God the Father is glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for the day that You have made. Thank You for giving us this wonderful opportunity to worship You with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, we know that this worship experience is incomplete without application. So we ask You, Lord, to help us not forget to be prayerful this week and to be charitable and hospitable and self-forgetful. Forgive us, Lord, where we've fallen short. And help us to remember that You have given us all the power we would need in a hundred lives in the presence of Your Holy Spirit. Thank You, Holy Spirit. Fill us as individuals and as a church. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.